Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week for Slater September, we have Dolan's Cadillac and Riding the Bullet, which, if I'm not wrong, are both Stephen King stories. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Well, you know, it's like you start watching YouTube and you end up spending your whole night doing that, so... And then they got bored and forgot why they were going to... They were going to steal our identities, but... Maybe they'll subscribe to YouTube Red and I can finally watch uh, Karate Kid. There you go. They had the first season up for free for like a week. And then I forgot to yeah. watch it. That ain't that ain't enough time. It's only eight episodes. Well, yeah, but I gotta get to it. <laughs> Need a lot more notice. And here in like a few months, my shit's gonna be all tied up with all this Marvel fucking plus bullshit. I don't know, pretty much everything. I was going to say, most of the things they've announced I'm interested in. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be down to see what they do with Moon Knight. I think that if any of them's going to end up sucking, it's actually going to be Moon Knight. Oh, I think so. Huh? I, I think it's going to be hard to translate that character to screen. Because one of the things that like made that character good is the, the visuals and stuff, and I don't think they're going to be able to carry that over you don't think they're gonna get all their ancient egypt whatever nonsense crap yeah like i said i just don't it's gonna be hard a lot of comic book writers have had a hard time writing that character they keep changing his fucking over again because they keep fucking it up the good news is most people don't know anything about it so do what so most people don't know anything about it, so if they change it or fuck it up, people just assume that it's accurate. Yeah, that's about right. That's what I'm worried about, or I'm worried that they're going to uh, do weird new version of She-Hulk instead of the good version of She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Like, smart, smart lawyer She-Hulk is awesome, and big, dumb, sexy She-Hulk is not. Oh, you don't like sexy She-Hulk? <laughs> Not not big dumb sexy She Hulk. There's a difference. Like lawyer She Hulk still sexy, but she's like a strong female character with a lot of agency and all that kind of stuff. And the newer version of her, she's just female Hulk who likes to fuck. If that, which isn't good. Female Hulk that likes to fuck. Yeah, that's. I mean that. 
That's pretty much what they've turned her into. That does sound like kind of a good pitch line for a show, though, if you're trying to sell it to somebody. I I think it sounds like a good uh, elevator pitch for a porno starring China. Uh, she already played her. I'm reasonably confident there's a... I know she did. That's what I'm saying. But now she's dead, so that would be awkward. Well, they definitely need to, like, shoot around the action scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, this got dark. (laughs) It's still early for this level of conversation, guys. Do you want to pick the next set there, Doug? Uh... In your promising I hands, can, I can work on it. I'll give you two weeks' notice. Me Week. Got a full two weeks to figure it out. And I'm guessing you're going to say you forgot and pick it at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's my that, yeah. that's Whatever. that's my prediction. Or I won't forget, but I'll just procrastinate. It's hard to know whether I'll forget or procrastinate. <laughs> it's awesome. Could be the one. Uh, but what we didn't procrastinate on, except for me, was watching uh, Christian Slater movie. So we decided wow. let's uh, team it up. Let's, let's do two uh, two Stephen King movies because we like uh, themes within themes. Yeah. And Christian Slater's only ever been in one question mark scroll through my brain yeah one Stephen King adaptation seems right uh, Dolan's Cadillac which I literally just got done watching 10 minutes ago now that you say that out loud it's really surprising given how many King adaptations there are and how many things Christian Slater has been in the fact that that's only crossed once is surprising right there there are so many that about once a year I find out that there was another one that I missed and I have to go back and watch it what Stephen King adaptation yeah constantly like I'm constantly like oh well they made another fucking one god damn <laughs> this, this year I found out about riding the bullet that I missed somewhere along <laughs> so which is a whole another subset in itself which is Stephen King adaptation directed by Mick Garris yep so uh, well, let's start off with Dolan's Cadillac good old Christian Slater plays Dolan who is a I don't know what's the correct term now mobster gangster it's a human trafficker bad, human bad guy all around bad person so we can see Christian Slater as a villain in a movie so yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, he's a human trafficker. He's uh, I don't know going to pick up or inspect a shipment, and a bunch of shit had gone wrong. So some of them are dead. So he's like, "Fuck it, kill everybody." And a woman on a horse happens to see him, and escapes. And it turns out she's uh, Wes Bentley's wife. And so they tell the authorities, who then put them in protective custody of some sort. Basically meaning they live in a hotel and are not allowed to leave. But, of course, uh, she tries to leave, and there's a bomb in her car. So she uh, blows up. And then... Uh, <laughs> what? This is the normal result of a bomb in a car, is her blowing up, so... 
So, of course, Wes Bentley's super pissed because the police didn't really do anything. Because they keep saying, like, oh, we can't pin it on them. We gotta, we gotta have more. And, you know, she's dead, so he's upset. And so he starts stalking Dolan. And, uh, one point runs into road construction. And it's during this that he sort of formulates a plan to get on this construction crew. And then be able to set up a trap for him. And, uh, well, I guess, uh, you'll have to find out if he actually pulls it off or not. But if he didn't, that'd be a pretty after. good movie. So. I was going to say, for- formulates the plan after Dolan kind of catches Sim unawares, beats the living shit out of him, oh, and gives yeah. a villain speech about how basically I know you've been following me and you're a little piece of shit, and I'm going to kill you because you're a little piece of shit, and walks off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to leave you alive because you're a pussy and you're not going to do anything about it anyway. So, pulls his plan off. And, uh, yeah. So, what does everybody think of this movie? It's cask of a Montiato in Vegas. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think King has even said that it's not a, uh... It's, it's not even anything he's trying to hide. It's like, yeah, it's my version of this story. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's... One thing you can say about this movie is it's definitely a King adaptation. The entire last hour almost feels like it's lifted... Not hour, probably half hour. feels like it was lifted straight from King's pages. Mm. When the two are just yelling at each other while one guy's trapped in a car and one guy's not. I was going to say, all the the racist monologues are very King-esque, too, unfortunately. That's oh, yeah. a running every, theme. That's a running theme in his books. <laughs> every every sleazy, disturbing thing that Christian Slater spews out of his mouth, I'm like, I wonder if that's straight from the short story or if they came up with that themselves. Because <laughs> it's it really it really sounds like stuff King would write. Yeah, yeah I'm probably pretty I'm close. Pretty I read the short sure story King like forever ago, but I don't remember. Yeah, it's in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I don't know. I I think the 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 problem I have with this movie is so Slater does a really good fucking job. Everything that's got to do with Christian Slater in this movie is really really good, mm-hmm. and I appreciate the main guy. What the fuck's his name? Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley. Yeah, yeah. Bentley. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate his performance for the last thirty five minutes of the movie. Yeah, but but the rest of it sucks. Like the acting's bad. All these actors are bad. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as say all of them are bad. I would just say Wes Bentley's bad through most of the movie, and he takes up a lot of screen time. Really, you didn't think that uh, what's his face, the dude who played the zombie in Land of the Dead, wasn't doing some weird fake ass accent that was just weird and bad? I don't know what. I don't know what the accents from that part of the world sound like, so I just assumed it was accurate. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I suppose. I thought he sounded more like it. Like, like if if a robot gained sentience, like, that's the way it would talk, not the way a foreign person would talk. The the bigger problem with the movie is not the performance from those actors, it's the fact that those characters don't serve any purpose. 
like the whole the whole as Wes Bentley's character decides to plot his revenge, he's going to get on this road crew so that he can put himself in a position to do what he wants to do. But there is 40 minutes of the movie dedicated to him being on this road crew. And it, it really serves no purpose. Like he could have taken a 10 minute night class and how to do, accomplish the things he accomplishes and it would have been just fine um, and I think this is the, the classic problem with adapting Stephen King is people are always trying to figure out how do you get like the stories don't have that much going on in them generally speaking so you're trying to make a movie out of a story when probably I'm assuming having I think I read this story a long long time ago and just don't remember it at all but like it's there's probably a lot of stuff going on inside people's heads. There's probably a lot of, you know, inner monologuing that you just can't really do in a movie properly. And by the time you get to sort of the the action stuff at the end, the the sort of climax that lasts for a half, that stuff's all really good. But trying to stretch the remainder of the plot out into long enough to make this into a movie is a problem. Mm. When I see movies like this, I miss Master of horror this would have been a great masters of horror episode where you just jump straight to the you just you just speed everything up and you still spend that same amount of time at the end you just don't have so much leading up to it because i mean credit to the filmmakers that's a ballsy fucking move to put christian slater locked in a car for the entire last half hour of the movie and it's just two characters, one's trapped in a car, one's standing on the roof of the car, and they're yelling at each other. And that's a, a full half hour. It's ballsy, but it really works. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Just, it, it's like that, everything that they say to each other, I love the way they're fucking with each other that whole time. But the problem is, like, there is, it's hard to get there. <laughs> it's Yeah, and I don't even, see, I don't even feel like, I feel like you could have made the movie this long it's just you needed to make the stuff in the middle like relevant and not boring because it's it's both irrelevant and boring which is i that's the most irritating part of it you're like make it even if it was one or the fucking other would be better yeah like what they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it seem like like because they keep mentioning the heat and the fact that this guy is you know he's a teacher by trade he's not prepared for this at all and they're trying to like show how much he's willing to sacrifice to get this revenge but it doesn't really come across very well see and I even think it goes off the rails before then because even the part where he's like following Dolan around and buying the gun they drag it out for too fucking long like we get it he's following him he's paying real close attention to everything he does like yeah you can get that point across in five minutes. Give us character development. Don't don't just go, oh, look, he's kind of upset. And then it's like, oh, look, he's completely at the bottom. And it's like, well, yeah, but we could have got there if you hadn't wasted all this time with him following Dolan around. Do you know what I feel like he needed? Which you're probably going to disagree with me, but I, I think I have a pretty good explanation. He needed He needed a sidekick. Which normally I'd be like, that's not... You know, that's horrible. Don't put that in there. But I feel like he needed someone to give exposition to throughout the last, like, two-thirds of the movie. 
where he could have been working on this road crew and them like explaining like you know him formulating his plan and being able to say it out loud and not have it come off as uh, him just talking to himself I just feel like he needed someone to bounce stuff off of back and forth about the situation and instead yeah like you guys said we got 40 minutes of him just working on a road crew not really doing anything yeah that, that might have been interesting if he had a partner that was helping him get this set up mm-hmm. you know maybe, maybe like have one of the cops be like you know kind of go to the dark side and realize they can't get Dolan and so they decide to help him get his revenge that might have been an interesting turn yeah, yeah. Something or, or give him well, just something that they like have him be like, do more of a you know, do you want to turn to the dark side and do this and have that kind of moral conflict play out a little bit more verbally rather than just again him working on a road crew and following him in a car and uh, yeah. stuff like that I was going to say or even if you didn't want another uh, person involved in the actual planning of it he could have had more of a buddy story with one of the construction guys and you go into more detail of like the guy teaching him and them like becoming quote fingers friends yeah and then at the end have the twist of no he was just using him the whole time to kill us or you know yeah well and that would be you could because you could have inter- interesting side plots too where like what happens if this friend realizes mm-hmm. what this guy is planning or you know why he wants these skills and does he keep continue to teach him like there's lots of areas you yeah. can go to with all that which that's, that's and, where the the foreign guy i'm sorry i don't even remember what country he's from he could have been like that character because he's holding on to the watch that he gives him which is yeah sort of in the plot i guess so there could have been like a back and forth between those two and then you know the guy finds out kind of why he's doing all this and then there's you know, are you sure you want to do this? Then you get that dramatic moment of where he gives him the watch back and tells him he's going to help him set this, you know, plan up or whatever. I feel like it would have helped kind of with that with that dull middle part. Yeah. Because you could have even had, like, if, if you felt the need to have another action beat, you could have had that guy taken out somehow. Mm-hmm. Again, clever, clever writers can add all that in. Um, one interesting tidbit uh, this movie was in like development hell for a while and originally it was supposed to star Sylvester Stallone as Dolan and Kevin Bacon as the main character Yeah, and it was supposed to be directed by the chick who did a pee pee poo poo man right okay I don't know what that is what, wait what the, oh, bye, bye, bye bye man Oh, bye bye man. Oh, gotcha. There's there's another podcast I listen to that they will only refer to it as Pee Pee Poo Poo Man. <laughs> but I didn't think I needed. I'm, I'm curious. Who wanted to watch a movie where Kevin Bacon faces off with Sylvester Stallone? But now I totally do because what 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 year would it have come out with those characters? Ah, <laughs> uh, like 2006, a couple years before this. Just, just shortly before this one. Yeah, I think because it feels like they're those guys are way way older than the characters that are in the movie. Yeah. Well, like uh, this came out in two thousand nine. Could work. Yeah, this came out in two thousand nine, so it just would have been like 
2006-ish, maybe, pending. Uh, I, re came out like, I really like the idea of, uh... Because it came out Sorry. two years after Death Sentence, which sort of has a similar through line, I guess. Yeah. Bacon was pretty good in that movie, so I'd, I'd love to see him try to this and square off against Stallone. Yeah, I, I, I really like the idea of Kevin Bacon in the West Bentley role, and I kind of like the idea of it being an older character, too. Because Bentley comes across as a guy that's like in his 20s in this, or maybe his 30s, yeah. whereas Bacon would have been more, you know, I don't know how to put it, like he'd be more of an adult, and it would seem more far-fetched that he could handle the the summer heat and all that kind of stuff that they get into. Yeah. I th I think the funny thing is if you think about it. So if you switch both characters, it sounds like an interesting movie. But if you only switch one character, it kind of sounds worse for some reason. Oh, if you had like Kevin Bacon and Christian Slater going at it, that'd be terrible. Yeah, yeah I feel like I they would both switch the scenery so bad you'd be like, just fucking stop it. <laughs> I'm trying. To, yeah, I'm trying to figure out why I would hate that, but I know I would. <laughs> and if you had Bentley and Stallone, that sounds just fucking boring. Yeah. Yeah, but for some reason, yeah, it works. At least the last half hour works with Wes Bentley and Christian Slater. And I think the whole movie probably would have been better with Kevin Bacon and Stallone. But yeah, you try to pair them off with the with their counterparts, and it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I think it would have been it probably would have been a better movie with a better director too. But I can't say oh, yeah. that. Uh, God damn it! What's her, what's her name? Sarah Sarah Title is that her name? Sure. I can't. I can't. I can remember. I know, I know her. I think her last name's Title, but. Uh, She's she's directed like six movies in the last thirty years somehow, <laughs> and still has a career. Like I don't I don't have any faith in her, and I've seen a lot of people talking about oh she's this great director, and it's like based on what? <laughs> like the the two fucking movies you've seen that she made twenty years apart. <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, I don't. I don't recall Bye Bye Man being significantly good. I remember a lot of people liking it, but they, all the people who don't like horror movies that liked it. So, <laughs> I, I've never seen it. It didn't even remotely appeal to me. So, no, I didn't even bother. I have it on my Voodoo. Someone bought it and put it on there, but I'm just like, I got, I got too much too much pride in myself to waste my time watching it. I'm trying to remember which podcast hated it so much. I think it was Shockwaves. Uh, they're usually pretty good about not I uh, making fun of movies they don't like. Yeah, but they weren't I, I they weren't really making fun of making at the pee pee poo poo man. They were just talking about the title and and one of them kept forgetting it. And I don't know, and somehow it became pee pee poo poo man. I don't think you can refer to something as pee pee poo poo man and not be making fun of it. I have to call you out a little bit on that one. That's, like that can't be your serious tonal discussion of that. You're just like, and uh, at what point in the pee pee poo poo man movie did you uh, did you start to lose interest? It's that, that's not how that works. I can't even ask questions about it. Good lord. Uh... I don't know. Do we have anything else to say about this movie? 
No, I, I think we need to emphasize more just how good the last half hour of this movie is. Mm. Um, I think it's it's really genuinely fantastic. And like I when so I don't even know if we got into the full description, but when so he rigs it so that Slater's car goes down into a crashes into a hole and Slater can't get out and he's in there he ends up by himself because everybody else is killed and West Bentley is burying him and they're just trash talking each other the whole time <laughs> and the balls of a filmmaker to set the whole last half hour of the film like that which is it was the right decision but I, you gotta give them credit for that and it turned out perfect I, I just wish I hadn't been bored leading up to it if it had, yeah. if this had, like I say, if this had been an hour long, you know, Masters of Horror or whatever, I think this would have been had the potential to be something great. Instead, I like I still recommend people, if you're a fan of like King adaptations, yeah, I'd, I'd still recommend giving it a watch. Just you know, have a game set up on your phone for that middle half hour because <laughs> the beginning's not bad. The beginning's the beginning's okay. Um, the beatdown that West Bentley takes in that like stop bathroom or whatever it is it's pretty good and that speech that Slater gives him about how like when he, he gives him his gun back and is like look this is how not scared of you I am I could be killing you instead I'm going to let you live and I'm actually going to give you your gun back because I think you're more likely to shoot yourself than you are to shoot me or something like that <laughs> and you're just like and it's of course being delivered by Christian Slater so you're like it's fantastic and I, I, I like I liked all that stuff it was just that 40 minutes of watching people do construction work <laughs> felt like we were stuck in traffic for that middle part like you're just yeah. like staring out the window watching the same guy pave the same little piece of road over and over again going what the fuck like just can i go and the boring the boring middle bit does get broken up a little bit with occasional christian slater scenes that are pretty good so yeah. that's that's all right uh, interesting cross-reference there's a really good line in this movie but it's not from this story it's from a different book and that's uh, when when he's kind of descending into madness and he's describing Dolan, that whole speech he gives about uh, when he grins, crow, crows fall off the power lines and shit like that, yeah. which that is actually a line from The Stand uh, in which Stephen King was describing uh, Randall Flagg, yeah. which is a good reference. Yeah, like it's a good reference. It's just kind of weird weird that he pulled it out for Dolan who's just kind of a Christian Slater scumbag but man. I don't know I I got the impression though that everybody was kind of intimidated by Dolan and I thought it worked like, I thought it applied yeah I, I felt like at the end of the movie even though you know it's really good I feel like they don't stress the fact enough that basically uh, he, he himself two days to slowly bury him <laughs> yeah which that's that's fucked up that's fucked up that he was like i'm gonna do this over the course of two entire days well there's like there's a moment right at the beginning when he first gets him down there and he pulls up in like the back loader or whatever it is and he dumps the dirt beside the hole instead of in the hole and then he gets out with a shovel and starts manually dumping the dirt in and I'm like, right away it kicked into me. I'm just like, what a sick bastard. Like, who would choose to individually scoop every bit of dirt in there rather than just dump it? It doesn't make any sense unless you're just going to thoroughly enjoy this revenge. 
Well, I mean, it even ratchets up from there where he fucking he basically took the time to set up a way for him to watch him bury him on a webcam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it is interesting how uh like you said the director sort of set it up this great confrontation and we get to hear them kind of going back and forth at each other. But I mean, those performances were fantastic because in reality it's just each one of them is on their own separate stage or whatever you know their own separate location like acting to nothing and then they yeah. respond like in kind to each other's performances and stuff so they did a really good job yeah alright anything else oh I have one more little criticism for the film yeah, the whole thing where Dolan was about to start getting into child trafficking yeah. and then it Plot line, plot line wise, that wasn't relevant. I thought that was maybe just a step too far with the character. I didn't see the point to that. Uh, I'm like, I feel gross enough already. He's just like lining these women up and judging them and sending some of them back for not like hot enough to be his prostitutes. And yet, then they have to cross that line and have him start shipping. Uh, kids and you can there's a bit of like foreshadowing where they're like what if we could ship twice as many units in the same amount of space and I'm like oh I only know they're either going to be shipping midgets or kids and I'm pretty sure it's not midgets so I I think I think there was kind of a purpose to it and I think Christian Slater acted it a little bit because you almost there's this look on his face a couple times where he almost looks like I deserve this you know what I mean yeah that that weird hesitancy of you know his his only reason why he's trying to escape is because the pure survival instinct but I think he actually knows he deserves to be in the hole well yeah and what, what's interesting about Slater's performance is I never get the impression that he thinks he's a good guy right because you get that with a lot of villains is that they they think they're the, you know they're they're the victim when they're being attacked like this. He knows he's the bad guy. He just relishes in it. What? See, I don't know because he makes the speech at the beginning about yeah, they're they're dragging in sex slaves, but they wanted to come here, so it's all okay. I I think I think the whole thing is he kind of uh, phil- philosophically he moves from being a moral nihilist at the beginning to being a. Uh, kind of second guessing that outlook on life once he realizes that they shipped a container of children in because <laughs> you yeah. can kind of because you can kind of tell he looks at it and he's going to go through it th- through with it anyway but he like actually realizes that he's done something wrong and yeah, maybe they just needed to emphasize that better than and have his character go through more of a shift right because when you refer to shipping a container full of children as being able to fit more units into the same amount of space, that, that comes across as pretty cold. Right. I thought the thing that they put in this movie that was completely fucking useless is the girlfriend being pregnant. It's like it's cheap. It's pointless. I mean, if it had been for shock value, that would have been one thing, which it clearly was not because they, you know, they reveal it to you right away. And yeah. you know she's going to die. And 
I could have even forgiven it if it had been like pure exploitation or something. But I don't even think it was that. I think it was just a, a cheap. It feels like just a cheap tactic to get you to be more invested in that character. And and because it's not well done, you're not more invested, which makes it feel even more insulting, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I see what you're getting at. Um, they, it would have been better even if they did the sort of story, like he finds out she's pregnant after she dies kind of thing. That would have even worked better than what they did in this movie. Right. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of cliche too, like you said, but I mean, yeah, I think it's a better alternative than just spend the first, you know, 15 minutes of the movie waving a pregnancy test in front of your face. And, like, I mean, if we're being honest, I I forgot that she was pregnant until you guys brought it up. I was like, oh yeah, right, that. So, um, that's how relevant it felt in the film. Yeah, because the whole the whole point of her getting out of the hotel is to go buy more pregnancy tests, which doesn't seem like an urgent uh, urgent thing. But yeah, she she should not have been sneaking out of protective custody to go get another test. No, I don't. I just thought of this now. I don't, I'm just gonna float it out there and see what you guys think. Would this have been a better movie if they had opened it? With Christian Slater stuck in the hole and Wes Bentley on the outside and then through flashback told us how we got there so that we keep coming back to like the present time and at the beginning we wouldn't even really know who's the bad guy and who's the good guy kind of thing. We'd, we'd be trying to figure out how they ended up in this scenario. That'd be, that would have been an interesting take, I think, maybe. I mean, it couldn't have hurt. Like, the look in the, I don't know, just style of the film is pretty middle of the road and mediocre. So, yeah. I mean, they could have done just about anything to try to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. I, don't know, I think it was filmed entirely in Canada. They're trying to make it seem like a desert in Las Vegas and stuff. And that's, that's just a hard thing to pull off. I mean, like they must have had some shots from Vegas, whether it was stock footage or whatever they used, but it's uh, I don't know. It's fairly obvious that they're not in Vegas through much of the film. <laughs> uh, all right, any last comments before we move on? And like I said, I don't know if this is a movie that's worth buying, but it's worth the once over, and you can rent it on YouTube for like two bucks. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I paid two bucks to run it. It's I'm not disappointed I did, but you know, could have been worse. That's that's saying something for a mid two thousand Stephen King adaptation. That's when they were kind of at an all time low around there. So. Well, was that was that a dig at Dreamcatcher? No, because I don't hate Dreamcatcher. It's got. I don't. I don't hate it either. It's got its lots problems. of lots of people fucking hate it. The book has some problems. Um, but yeah. Who's on them painkillers, yo? <laughs> you get you get hit by a van and 
see how good you write. I love that people have people's complaints about King's writing is all mostly based on what substance he was abusing at the time. <laughs> I'm just saying the liquor, the liquor and cocaine days were his best writing. I think we can all agree to that. He would say that too, but he doesn't remember. He apparently has no memory of writing the book Cujo. But uh, that would be kind of cool. You got you got to admit that'd be kind of fun if there's just a bit of your life where you accomplish something very impressive and you don't remember it. And you can read it like it's somebody else's work, even though you wrote it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> like if there's, I mean, if there was a part of my life I wouldn't like, okay, there's that that week where I just watched TV in the basement and I don't remember it. That's that's nothing, right? But if you're Stephen King and you're like, that week I don't remember, right? Came up with this book and everybody thinks I'm a great writer now. <laughs> it's like a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> in some ways, it must actually be like difficult, much more difficult to quit using stuff because you're like, well, it's, it's really working for me. <laughs> <laughs> Tabitha, you don't understand. I really Speaking, it makes a lot of sense for me to keep drinking and doing coke. If I stop doing it, the writing won't be as good. Like, you like having money, right? <laughs> I like how we've turned this into Stephen King negotiating with his wife about why he should be allowed to do coke at home. <laughs> um, Alright, well, Doug, since you mentioned you just learned of this movie recently, do you want to tell us about uh, writing the bullet? Uh, sure. It's 1969. There's this uh, weird art student dude with a bit of an obsession with death. He, uh, his girlfriend breaks up with him, so he tries to kill himself, but it turns out that they have a surprise birthday party where they burst on in on him in the bath. So they uh, put a stop to that. Which is always good. Girlfriend gives him your John- girlfriend brings your friends into the bathroom while you're taking a bath. I'd be like, what the fuck well, are you doing? Well, it's also good that she was breaking up with him. She was breaking up with him and then still showing up for the surprise party where she leads everyone else into the bathroom. <laughs> it's super weird. Um, anyways, so... She ends up carrying through with the breakup, but she gives him some John Lennon tickets just as he's getting ready to go off to see uh, that. He gets the call that his... Uh, mother has had a stroke and so he gives tickets to his buddies and he starts hitchhiking home which you'd think the friends that he gave the tickets to who left in a car could have just driven him home on their way but I guess that wasn't an option Um, it's just it's a little weird anyways he starts to see all sorts of yeah yeah that was desperate thinking um but the worst, the worst part of the, this whole movie is definitely the part where they do the whole, like, oh, it's going to be weird when all of our heroes get old, and then they start listing off all of the people who were popular in 1969 who were dead before this movie was made. And I'm like, what are you doing? But anyways, we're getting nitpicky before we're even done our plot description. Uh, where was I? So he's hitchhiking, a bunch of weird shit happens. Uncle Ben picks him up for a while. Um, and then eventually he is picked up by David Arquette, who might be death. 
and gives him the option, gives him the choice of you can come with me or I can go and get your mother because I'm taking one of these souls with me tonight. Uh, there's a lot of stressful looks between the two of them before eventually our main character picks, uh, decides to let his mom die, but then she doesn't really die, which is weird. And uh, then they kind of grow old together with him moving in and helping to take care of his mom. Yeah. That's the plot of this movie, so don't 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 act like it's my fault that I said all those things. <laughs> I'm not. It's a super weird movie. It is. It is. Movie. It's another it's a, one that it's it's a weird novella too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of these ones where you can tell like King probably wrote a bunch of this shit. Like I have never read this one. I'm pretty sure, but I, like. Yeah, a lot of the stuff in here is stuff that King would write, and some of the stuff that King writes you probably shouldn't put on a movie screen. Like a bird telling him to fuck off at one point in the movie. I'm like, that does seem like something that would be in a Stephen King book, but it's the kind of filmmaker you choose not to put in. Yeah, it's kind of a special book in some ways. But like it was, uh, it was King's first big step into uh, ebook. And it was like right whenever ebooks were first starting to be a thing. So Stephen King kind of came in with the dick swinging and won like eight awards with the novella and kind of kicked off the ebook craze. So, what did we think of writing the book? I, well, I immediately have one big complaint, and it's probably so fucking stupid that everybody's going to be upset that this is my complaint. <laughs> if you're going to make a goddamn period movie you have to make some fucking attempt in costume design and all that kind of shit to make it look like that fucking time this like you're sitting there like this looks like modern day it's supposed to be fucking <laughs> like 1970 what in the fuck is going on and then they flash back to whenever he's a child which would have been about 1950 and it looks the fucking same it looks like modern day you're like what in the sweet fuck are these people doing yeah I definitely noticed especially the costuming was very kind of neutralized like he's wearing like jeans and like a denim shirt you're like well yeah that people did wear that in the 60s and they do wear it now and they've worn it at every time frame in between like it's it seemed like there was a lot of that going on yeah, but it looked a whole lot, a whole lot more like a '90s grunge, uh, grunge, blah, a '90s grunge outfit than a 1970s straight cut outfit. You know what I mean? Like you can tell the difference between them, those things. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like a lot of the characters were dressed the way I dressed in the '90s. Like it, was, it definitely felt that way. Which is the interesting thing too is that the novella apparently not set in 1969 that was something that the filmmakers chose to add so it's weird that you would choose to add that and then not uh, a a it wasn't really relevant plot wise why it had to take place in that time and then b it, it you're right they didn't do a great job of evoking the time period yeah, I'm wondering if the concept of hitchhiking somewhere, maybe, because like uh, this movie was made in 2004, that, and that doesn't seem like something yeah. that's like a 
sort of a culturally accepted mode of transportation like it was, I guess, in the 60s? That part's true. I mean, just the idea of... The idea of, like, if your friend... If you're, like, if you're a college kid in 2004 and your friend says, yeah, I'm going to go home and see my mom and he just puts a bag over his shoulder and starts wandering towards the highway, you'd probably look at him like he's crazy, right? Of course. Yeah. I also feel like... Uh, I don't... Have you have you read this one, Brian? Is this one that you actually sat uh, down and read? I have, but, I mean, it was, like, forever ago, so I don't even remember anything okay. outside of the movie. So, so the theme, the general theme of the movie in the book is basically the same. It, it's a weird fucking message, and I know Stephen King doesn't do messages, so, mm-hmm. so you have to, like, take a step back. But basically, the overarching theme of this is either live or fucking kill yourself. Like there's no in between the universe hates you for being wishy washy, put a fucking gun in your mouth and kill yourself or quit being a bitch. Like, Uh, which is weird. That's a weird theme, right? Yeah. I mean, from the movie perspective, like I said, I haven't read the book in forever. Uh, I got more of a, uh, death is inevitable. So, it doesn't matter what you choose at the end of the day, like everybody's going to die sort of situation, but yeah, I, I think I got the, I got the more of the impression that Brian got there where I thought, because at the end of the day, neither of them died that night, neither him or his mother died after he was forced to choose. The message was sort of like, it doesn't matter what you do, just live your life and do you know, be around the people you care about and stuff and let death come as it does. Because it's not like he goes, he learns the lesson to go on and live his life, right? He learns the lesson to just kind of go home and take care of his mom. Like, I was going to say, in the, in the book, the insinuation isn't really that uh, George's death, it's supposed to be like he's the devil. Okay. And so he's making a deal. I feel like you are confusing this with Shawshank and you think get busy living or get busy dying is the uh, message of the movie, but... <laughs> no, I th- no, and I think that's what it is. I mean, that's that's generally what the theme of the book is, too. I mean, the, even the name of it is just a, a shortened version of riding the bullet train in which the phrase riding the bullet train is basically <laughs> like things suck, either blow your brains out or go. Yeah, I, 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 I still agree with Brian. <laughs> I just, I don't, because, because it, I mean, in, in the context of the film, and I assume in the short story as well, the riding the bullet makes reference to other time when he had to make a decision, and he was supposed to be riding this extremely exciting musical, or amusement park ride, and he chickened out at the last minute and didn't do it. And so they're, the message of like he shouldn't be living his life would be he should have gotten on that ride but that's not what he does at the end of this movie he doesn't go and do the most exciting thing he doesn't pursue his art career or whatever he just ends up moving home taking care of mom living at home until she dies yeah right the end's a little the end's a little different in the book too 
but it's it's pretty much the same. The the big difference is after his encounter with George, whenever he wakes up in the graveyard, he has the I rode the bullet pin and he keeps that pin for whatever years and years and years and years. And then one morning he wakes up and he realized that he lost the pin that he's been carrying around reminding him of that. And the day he loses the pin is the day his mom dies, which is kind of supposed to be that he let he let his guard down. Yeah, I can't, I can't comment on the book at all. So, well, how did you feel, Doug? Since this is the first time watched for you, um, this is a weird fucking movie. That's my. <laughs> I will say one of my yeah, uh, like one of my complaints is the tone is like all over the place. It's kind of well, funny yeah, sometimes, be- and then there are, we're me- seeing like alternate alternate uh, scenarios happen and then it gets like yeah. kind of dark and, yeah and it it never settles in on anything and ne- it never explains anything so I have no idea like if the character's hallucinating a lot of the stuff or if death is showing him these options of where his life could go like none of that is ever kind of explored as to why all this weird shit is happening but even like like in the beginning when he's getting ready to to slit his own wrists like yeah death shows up and has a conversation with him and it's the version yeah like that's what I was about to bring up like it's the version of death that he was drawing earlier in art class and people were saying well you're obsessed with death so I'm going with like yeah picturing this like dark demon character that's going to help him like help him come to the decision to kill himself but then he smokes weed with it and it's I, I don't know what that's about. Like it, it's weird. It's very Mick Garris. It feels like something from a Mick Garris movie. So I'm not surprised it's in here. But it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, so if this is like this dark suicide scene, and he's imagining that this version of death that he sees in all his art is showing up to help him decide to die. I don't know that death should be smoking a joint with him. <laughs> like, it's just it's just a strange thing because you can't. There's no serious way to have death smoking a joint. It's it has to be played for laughs. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've always taken it as they're supposed to be manifestations of like his own inner monologue and fear. Yeah, and that's how I wanted it with, to take place. Which he also does but, with like a version of himself as well. Yeah. yeah, and that was the other weird part though was because he had this other version of himself that he would talk to. But then it's the same David Arquette's characters can see that other version. Right? Right. Because he's the devil. See, I thought he was death this whole time. I thought he was death. The devil or death who drives a very Christine looking car that was not very subtle oh and I, I know I know the kind of people who listen to this podcast already know it but for the record we should say he's a 50s greaser with the leather jacket and the slick back here <laughs> I, I know he's the villain in the Stephen King short story so that I, it goes without say but you know just so we're clear well sometimes they come back yeah, yeah. <laughs> also also all the other 
Stephen King movies and books. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, King without has exception. A problem with 50 degreesers, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were douchebags. <laughs> this is a hard movie to talk about. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah. yeah. Cause it's a, I, I cause it's so fucking weird. It's a bunch of disconnected uh, experiences while he's hitchhiking that then yeah. culminates in his encounter with David Arquette and right it suffers it suffers from some of the same stuff that the last movie did there's way too much of him just fucking walking down a road in this movie like that that stuff's bad every time he gets in a car with somebody like whenever he gets in a car with the the old man who's got something wrong with his dick and uh you know once uh george shows up and and he starts dealing with all that stuff all that stuff's really interesting and compelling and even his hallucination stuff is interesting and compelling but the shit of like him walking down the road and he encounters a bird and he encounters a dog and he encounters like it's like I don't fucking care well even yeah even the one ride he gets from the a guy who's like pretending to be a hippie but then he, he after there's a small accident he figures out that that guy's actually a Vietnam vet who's kind of hiding as a hippie so he doesn't get protested it's like what's the purpose of that exactly hmm. like it that whole scene doesn't really make sense to me in the context of the rest of the film I think it's just there for the uh, car accident because it's another brush with death yeah all right because I think I think the whole point of the story is supposed to be that the main character is scared of like everything, and and you think he's suicidal, but he's scared of death too. So <laughs> he's not even getting that right. And and I think the whole point of his depression and stuff is basically just that he doesn't seem to have the balls to just like do stuff and just commit to something. And uh, Jesus Christ, nobody in this movie knows how to drive. Like, they almost get into a head-on collision every time he's in a car. <laughs> That's... Well, he's a king character, right? So he has weird magical powers that go unexplained. This is... Every time he gets in a car, that car almost crashes. Yeah, well, Stephen King has a running theme of vehicles in his book. Yeah. <laughs> books, and I've never... I've I've heard a lot of interpretations of it. I think my favorite one is people saying that like uh, vehicles are like a modern symbol of power. So you know if you're if it was medieval times, it would be like a horse or a sword or you know a magic shield or something. And in, instead, in modern stories, it's all these vehicles. Well, when From Bio Gate came out. He did insinuate that maybe he was just running out of ideas. <laughs> so how do we feel about like uh, David Arquette's I was performance s- in this? I know, I know people have their problems with David Arquette. I fucking love David Arquette. I think he just has fun, and that dude genuinely like loves horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can pretty much forgive him fucking anything. Yeah, I would say his performance yeah, I think is if... usually like way over the top and just kind of manic. But I feel like for this specific character, it kind of works, which is good. Yeah, like it, it makes sense to go out and get a former wrestler to play this type of role, where you just want somebody to be big and over the top. You son, you son of a bitch! That's the one part of David Arquette's career we don't talk about. 
<laughs> Even David doesn't like talking about yeah, I mean, his career. <laughs> he he bankrupted the WCW. <laughs> they broke a dude's back. They killed a guy, and it was David Arquette's fucking wrestling movie that put him down. <laughs> <sighs> to be fair, David Arquette straight up told them, "Putting the title on me is one of the worst." things to ever happen to this title please don't do it and they did it anyway so. I'll apply to get uh, Courtney Cox to do a guest appearance on Nitro and That's it worked right. so well not even Courtney not Kurt Russell as well because they were on the set of uh, 3000 Miles to Graceland and she's like yelling at is him is that true it's been yeah. a while since I yeah they were they were on the back yeah I remember she's like yelling at him about I was and doesn't he like end up running, like chasing somebody with a chair and go off screen? <laughs> I don't know. He's Anyways, just, he's just sitting there just... And, and she's yelling at him. And Kurt Russell kind of walks up in his Elvis getup, and he's like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "Tell him, David." He's like, "I'm, I'm the WCW World Champion." Kurt Russell just kind of looks at him and then does that <clears throat> sort of thing, like under his breath, <laughs> where he's trying to stifle a laugh and then just walks off. I don't know how we ended up here, but come to think of it, it's really weird which celebrities WCW decided to put in real matches. Because Jay Leno wrestled in a WCW ring once. And that's fucked up. From Mad TV? Yeah. I'm not sure that it's a good idea to do that. No. Well, well, it wasn't. They're not around anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You can see all those matches on the WWE Network. Now we've got a new one, AEW. How long do you think, think before they jump the shark? I don't know. They got a lot of money behind them, so hopefully they stick around for a while. I don't have cable, so I'm not going to be able to watch it. Yeah, uh, their owner dude is super weird, though. Like he goes on like podcasts and t- talks about how he really wants the winning and losing records of the wrestlers to matter when they're deciding who's champion and stuff. And I'm like, does he not know? About the predetermining of the matches? Did nobody tell him? He's the owner of the company. Somebody should tell him. I actually think if they just started a, a wrestling show like that, and before every match, they just secretly flip a coin in the back, and they're like, okay, you're going to win. <laughs> Go. And that way, people actually don't know who's going to win. <laughs> I'll give you AEW's number. You can call them up. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's the one strategy that, like, would actually work. Because nobody could, be, like, bitch about, ah, oh, John Cena always wins, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, no, he just gets beat every, you know? Until we find out John Cena's using a double, double-sided double coin. That son of a bitch. Yeah. Goddamn John Cena. Did I ever tell you guys about the time I went to, like, a WWE house show? And I was, like, impressing some little kid in front of me by predicting every match because I knew, like, I knew all the Canadian guys would win because the house show was in Canada. And I knew, like, obviously the guys that had belts were going to win because they're not going to, like, have a, uh, a a championship change hand. And, like, I was sitting there, like, and this kid was, like, super impressed. He thought I was because I was, like, 20 and he was, like, 10. So, and then all of a sudden they announced that they, uh, 
like Edge was coming out to challenge for a belt, and the kid's dad looked at me and he's like, "Well, smartass, what do you think? That's a Canadian guy fighting for a belt. Is he get what?" And I'm like, "I don't know how this is gonna turn out." <laughs> I legitimately just shrug. I, I got nothing, and then they fucking the belt changed hands at a house show. <laughs> I'm like, they can do that. <laughs> they they do that all the time. They just swing back at the next house show. Well, in this particular case, there was a. There was like a pay per view the next night. It was like a Saturday night house show, and there was a Sunday. Like at the pay per view, they had to show footage from the house show. I'm sure there's a story behind this that I don't remember, but there might, like for some reason they had to show footage of this house show, which was clearly not meant to be taped, and the lighting was terrible and everything of the belt changing hands, and then they changed it back over at the at the pay per view. So weird. <laughs> Wrestling logic is strange. Yep. <laughs> well, how do you feel uh, former world champion David Arquette's performance was in this movie, Doug? <laughs> no, I, I I liked it. Plain and simple. I <laughs> think it's it's ridiculous and it's ridiculous and over the top and perfect for this movie. I mean, you you get what you get when you cast David Arquette, and mm-hmm. he's not a bad choice for this particular role. In a different movie, it would have annoyed the hell out of me, but. Um, okay. Sorry, again, this is a hard movie to talk about. Yeah. about. It's just like, what do you say? Like, there was a talking bird. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we could say it's not It's not very good. It's not great. Yeah, but it's also I not think great. I kind of enjoyed every... What's that? I was going to say, it's not great, but it's not the worst. No, I think I enjoyed, like, all the individual scenes... I just don't know what this movie's about yet, and I already finished watching it, so <laughs> I should know by now. I mean, and it's, I, it's it felt like 2004, which is too early for this, but I feel like this would have been a good web series. Like, you could just have, like, a five, ten minute sort of episode for, you know, like, I don't know, once a week or something for, like, a couple months and just follow his journey as he's trying to get to his mom's in the hospital and so each episode is him encountering you know encountering the fucking weird ass bird and the the dog or wolf or whatever the fuck it was and getting rides from different people and sort of dealing with that but yeah it's it's very it's very uh, episodic in a weird way did you guys think maybe part of the problem with this movie is I don't know if it's an editing issue or maybe a cinematography issue, but the the camera shots all look like too clean for what this movie is. Like there's no grain. It looks like it's shot with a digital, you know, 1080p camera kind of thing, which makes it look soap opera. Yeah, it might just. Be I don't know, I don't know if that's just a me thing. Yeah, it might have just been a budget thing, and then. Uh... Uh, to be honest, Mick Garris is kind of a middle-of-the-road director. Like, there's some of the stuff that his I really like, but for the most part, like, some stuff like this is just... It's very safe and just not, you know... He doesn't do anything exciting with camera angles or whatever. So, I don't know. That might be part of the problem. Well, I think part of the problem with this movie, too, is that they elongated a short 
to make it into a full-length movie. And that whole first act with the suicide attempt and all the stuff with the girlfriend, my understanding is that's all basically added. And yeah, it feels like it's completely separate. Like it, it just it just feels like it's a completely separate story. And, well, I mean, I guess it was, right? So, <laughs> but... I think it was just to sneak in. Uh, uh, God damn it! What's his name? The guy who played the art teacher. Matt oh, I don't know his name. Yeah, because what he's been in like three or four different Stephen King adaptations. Is that right? Uh, yeah, mainly because he's a really good friend of McGarris's. So, he pretty yeah. Much, hey, Matt, you want to do another Stephen King? Yeah, sure. And it'll just show up. And he's just, he's one of that guys. That guy, he just pops up everywhere, doesn't he? This movie has a lot of that guy in it. He's a great actor. Oh, yeah. Um, the fuck was I going to say? I don't remember. I was going to say, but he, he's a great actor that does things like art teacher <laughs> in, in shitty McGarris movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is weird too. Like he's an art teacher, right? And he's like the one kid decides to uh, draw up, like his vision of what's going on, and he basically no, 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 don't use any artistic uh, any artistic license here. Just draw exactly what you see. And it's like, well, I'm not sure if that's exactly how you're supposed to teach art, but what do I know? Well, he tells him he's got great talent but he's just misusing it by drawing all this morbid stuff which again yeah I'm not sure if that's how you're supposed to tell people yeah. about their art like oh your instincts are to do your ah, good point <laughs> they were all on LSD so what difference does it make Maybe that's really what this movie's about where that kid just took some LSD while he was waiting for his concert to start and this is the story that popped into his head <laughs> Anything else? Nah, I think that's about it. Well, have we said whether we recommend people watch this or not? Uh, like we, I've like we've said, it's it's not great, but it's not the worst. If you're a Stephen King or McGarris completist, um, I'd say give it a watch. But I wouldn't like tell it. somebody not to watch it. Really. <laughs> I think I'm probably going to be the harshest on it out of all of us. I think I'd say, like, yeah, like, if this type of thing really appeals to you, it's certainly not the worst thing out there. But there's a lot better stuff you could be watching. Sure. Yeah, but like uh, you mentioned before, you didn't even know there, this was a movie. So if you had heard this was a movie, you're just like, oh, shit. Stephen King adaptation. I got to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, and from that perspective, like, if if you're going to, like, there's a lot of shitty King adaptations out there, so this one isn't, mm-hmm. like, if you're trying to pick between this and the, the Shining TV miniseries, I'd probably pick this. Ooh, shots fired, McGarris. Shots fired at McGarris's other thing. <laughs> what about between this and the Nightflyer? I only saw the Nightflyer once, but I... That's for what, like, and the Langoliers. All right, now you're just talking. Oh, 
<laughs> I think it. I think it's this one. But the Langoliers does have Balky in it, which is inherently funny. So. I actually don't hate the Langoliers. That's just another one that people talk shit about all the time. Well, because the CG is atrocious. Oh, yeah, it's real bad. Yeah, mainly what I remember is Valky's in it, the guy from Quantum Leap is in it, but not Scott Bakula, the other guy. And the CGI is just terrible. That's about all I remember from it, from watching it on TV whenever it aired. Not, not Scott Bakula, the other guy. <laughs> I'm not remembering people's names. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> is he in it? Am I at least right? He had such yeah. a good career, and he's been introduced to the guy that's not Scott Bakula. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, anybody watch anything since last week? Not a lot, but I did watch something. Uh, too. This is going to be a short episode. I watched Handsome, which is... Uh, a comedy mystery movie made by Netflix Question starring the star well starring the dad from the Goldbergs and uh, and what's her face the chick with curly hair from Orange is the New Black I guarantee also in that. two chicks with curly hair Natasha Leone uh, she, she was also in uh, Russian Doll Said her name, Natasha Lee, in which it's just I don't, I don't exactly understand what they were doing with the movie. It's not bad. Like I watched it and I kind of snickered because it was kind of funny, but but at the same time, it's almost too self-aware. It feels like the kind of thing like if I was famous and an actor and I had a bunch of quasi-famous actor friends. And we just got together on the weekends to make silly movies that we thought were, like, humorous for us to watch. This is the type of thing that would pop out. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't feel like any real effort went into anything. It's not bad because they're all talented people. It just feels like it was made by people who didn't wish it to make a movie. Like, That sounds like a criticism, and it sounds like it would turn out bad. Yeah, but it's the whole thing is it's really not bad. It's just, and and in a, in certain ways, it's kind of good. It's just like I said, I just got done watching it, and I and I still I'm confused. I'm like, what the fuck was the point of this? What what, were they, what was their idea behind it? What did they go into this trying to do? I love listening to you try to justify shit. Like in certain ways, it was almost good. <laughs> Well, I just don't know. I honestly don't know if this one was good or not. I need somebody else to watch it and tell me if it was good because I, well, I feel like do a I better need... job selling us on it than this, or else I'm, I'm just not saying. It. I feel like I need to watch it again to figure out if it was good, but then I'm going to be pissed off that I watched it again. <laughs> oh, uh, so I don't. I just don't. I just don't fucking know. 
Oh, I'm staying away from that because it sounds too confusing. Right. And and then I watched uh, a Day of the Dead because because it's Day of the Dead. It had been like it's been like two months since I watched Day of the Dead. I needed to watch Day of the Dead again. There's nothing wrong with it. Some I'm assuming someday I'll get sick of it. I just don't yeah. know when that day yeah. is. I can't conceive of that. No. I don't. It's, it's easily. It's got to easily be the movie I've seen the most times because I bet I watch it five times a year and I bet I watched it five times a year since I was 12 so yeah, I've seen so it a lot of times you're not close to getting sick of that movie yet though. not even a little bit <laughs> I think I think it's one of the few movies that I get done watching it and I could just hit play again and watch it again and be perfectly okay with that yeah uh, remember when that was your childhood like I just I love this movie so much I'm just gonna watch it again. Right. I I remember uh, a day and age whenever it was just hey there's a horror movie right here I'm gonna watch that horror movie and being so excited and now I have so many fucking options I just get decision paralysis and I sit yeah. there for an hour and a half agonizing over what movie I'm going to watch because what if it sucks and I could have watched infinite other good movies <laughs> like, I could have watched Day of the Dead again yeah I could have watched Day of the Dead five more times on a loop you could have rewatched that murder mystery comedy thing with the guy from the Goldbergs to find out whether you like it or not <laughs> like I said I gotta watch it again I don't know <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. There's there's something there. I just don't understand what it is. If they told me, if they told me, we just got together on a weekend and just made this, and there was no script, we just like made a movie. I would be like, yeah, this is fucking brilliant. That's that's awesome. <laughs> like, someone look it up and find out there's like a forty five million dollar budget, and they had like three writers, and two directors. That's- See, that's that's the that's the difference. If somebody told me, man, somebody really, really worked hard on this, I'd be like, oh no, <laughs> that person, that person should not do this. Give them a ribbon of some kind and send them on their way. <laughs> uh, so, so I watched uh, Day of the Dead, and then I watched Return of the Living Dead because somebody brought up Return of the Living Dead the other day. So, wasn't it you that brought it up when we were recording? I think, last it, week? I, I think yeah. it was. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't matter who brings it up, even if it's me. I'm watching it. It's, it's Return of the Living Dead. I gotta see uh, Linnea Quigley's prosthetic vagina. <laughs> it means a lot. <laughs> her prosthetic vagina means a lot to me. and plus every time they say send more send more cops I like do a little uh, little <laughs> love that movie and then I was going to watch Return of the Living Dead 3 but I didn't have time the end, end of movies that's it what'd you watch though? what'd you uh, very little. Um, I think the only th- thing I watched was Friday the 13th because it was Friday the 13th. Nice. Um, so I sat down and I started to struggle over 
which one to watch, which is like a typical problem I have because it's sort of like Noah's like decision paralysis problem. If you uh, try to decide which Friday the 13th to watch on Friday the 13th, it might not be Friday the 13th anymore by the time you're done deciding. But then I remembered there's only one that is set on a Friday the 13th moon, which is what we had this year, so I felt obligated to watch that. It's still good, if you guys are wondering. <laughs> I, don't to, like, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say about Friday the 13th. Like, it, it holds up really well. Um, I do think, like, some of the performances that uh, are really underrated in the movie, because everyone talks about the special effects and stuff, and I think, like, Betsy Palmer is fantastic in the movie and stuff like that. But I'm sure I've said all that before, so... Yeah. It wasn't like a I was a little worried that you were getting ready to say the about it. Oh, yeah. There was just just a little, just a little in the back of my head. I was waiting for you to say the remake, and I was going to be like, now I'm going to have to snowmobile my ass all the way to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> just, just slap you in the face. <laughs> I have not seen that remake in so long, and I, I need to rewatch it because I need... I, remember enjoying it, but I wonder if I was just desperate for a Friday the 13th movie. But now I find myself desperate for a Friday the 13th movie, so maybe I would enjoy it again. It It is a perfectly fine slasher movie. It's just a shit addition to that franchise. It's not supposed to be an addition to the franchise. It's supposed to be a standalone film. Anyways. You put the name on it, it's part of the franchise. That's the way this works. I didn't hate it. It is an insult. It is an insult to the good name of Jason Takes Manhattan. I saw an Instagram post from a guy that said, you know, it was the typical Friday the 13th. Which movie are you going to watch? For me, it's always three, four, and eight. Those are the ones I watch on Friday the 13th. And I, I had to message that guy. I'm like, explain it. Yeah, you need to explain that. I totally understand, like, three and four go hand in hand together. I completely understand why you would watch those two. Eight? And he's just like, I don't know what to tell you. It was the first one I saw when I was a kid, and I feel obligated. I'm like, okay. I'll t- I'll t- listen. Out of the entire original like run of films, all the way up to eight, uh, that the scene of him walking through New York and the the punks are playing the music, and he turns around and lifts the hockey mask up, and they you know all shit their pants and run. That moment probably sticks in my brain better than any other moment in the entire series. But not everything that sticks in your brain is a good thing. That's true. I've still got that fucking blues song from the 90s in my head. <laughs> don't don't get it in everybody else's head. Fuck. <laughs> At least it didn't say Barbie girl. It never goes away. My, my, my IQ dropped 13 points from hearing that song. Like, valuable information was shoved out of my head, and it's just been playing on a loop in some weird corner ever since then. What else did you watch, Doug? I I watched nothing else. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. How do you watch one Friday the 13th movie and not immediately watch (laughs) at least seven more? (laughs) Friday the 13th? 
I, so what happened was I put in Friday the 13th and my plan was because I've got the the old box set that where it's two movies per so the plan was watch Friday the 13th go to bed wake up watch Friday the 13th part two but I fell asleep watching Friday the 13th so when I woke up I'm like well I can't watch two because I haven't finished one yet and then by the time I finished one I was out of time it was a very stressful situation for me first world problems when I say I when I say I have decisions, sat here for probably ten minutes trying to decide: do I just watch part two because I've already saw the start of part one, or do I w- try to find out where I fell asleep in part one, or do I just start part one over again? And there was like, yeah, I almost gave up, didn't watch anything. And yes, these are all first world problems. <laughs> yeah, we haven't actually watched it yet, but uh, me and Amanda decided. Well, I pitched the idea to her, and she just agreed. Because uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's like one of our favorite franchises. Yeah. And so I asked her, I'm like, when was the last time we just like sat down to watch the Nightmare on Elm Street series? Like, not just, oh, we stumbled across it on cable or, you know, well, I want to watch part three, but I don't, you know, want to watch the rest. I'm like, let's just for October, um, let's just, let's watch all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So like two a week. And we'll, you know, go in order. And Hell yeah. Yeah, she's down, so that's I think that's going to be our October plan. Uh, I was that's gonna a say, really good idea. Yeah. The only problem with that is, right off the bat, you got to make it through two. Yeah. I'm curious to revisit two. Two is not... It's not like a complete loss. But it's such a departure from what the rest of the movies are. Yeah. Sure. And the, the new documentary that yeah. the guy, the main guy put out is, you know, coming out soon. It's on, like, the festival tour right now. So I kind of want to revisit it. So when I get a chance to watch that documentary, I can kind of have that fresh in my memory. Yeah. yeah. The problem, the biggest problem with 2 is it's just so obvious that that was not a Freddy movie and they just took an existing script and slotted him in there right and so all the other movies are Freddy movies they're clearly designed around that character but luckily for two it's it's surrounded by one and three which are I think objectively the best movies in the series so you're like great movie bad movie great movie so watch those in quick sequence and easily move on three is really good yeah, I would almost argue three is better than one. I mean, I, it's not a crazy thing to say. I disagree with it, but I don't think it's a crazy thing to say. Yeah, it's always hard to say like any sequel is better than the original either, because it builds on the original, right? Yeah. So, I was say, so how it, can you how can you say it's like? Yeah, you just can't like yeah, like yeah, it's a fantastic movie, and someone's like, oh, it's better, and, and you're just like, well, I can't really argue that. But, you know, the first one's the first one. Need the first maybe, one. maybe not better. Maybe maybe the better phrasing would be it's it's more fun to watch three than it is to watch the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah I can easily see that. Yeah, I mean, and that's... But, you know, three wouldn't exist without... Like, you wouldn't be able to jump into three if you'd never seen one. You'd be like, you'd want to know what the hell was going on. Now I want to watch. Yeah. 
Nightmare on Elm Street. Remember when I bought the box set and I told you guys I was going to watch all of them and I watched one and then I watched three and then I gave up? <laughs> I know for some reason the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I ever saw was four. I'm not sure how that happened. First one I ever saw was three at a babysitter's house. So I started off pretty well. Welcome to time I feel like I definitely saw part one like when it was relatively new like on VHS 85 86 and I was way too young to be watching it I think it was just one of those ones that my older brother was watching and it was the 80s parents didn't really control their children back then they just just put food out three times a day like we were pets and that was it so if you weren't even home it's like if you didn't show up for it they just threw it in the garbage yeah, I, I think baby. I was it was the 80s. If, if you weren't home, your parents just assumed you were at your friend's house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was at my babysitter's house, and they were watching it. And I was sitting on the couch with probably, like, my eyes, like, as big as dinner plates. Like, what the fuck is this? And they're like, how old are you? And I'm like, eight. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're totally old enough to watch that. That's fine. And I was like, <laughs> Okay. Nightmares for a week. Why is this wizard fighting this nightmare demon man? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, they're in a dream world. Oh, okay. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Movie's so good. <laughs> um, well the only thing I watched is Amanda wanted to watch Hotel Artemis, which I had already seen. And I was like, okay. So we rewatched Hotel Artemis, and uh, yeah, still good. Still enjoyed it. Uh, that one, that one's got Batista in it, right? Yeah. Yep. What, I was definitely going to talk, talk about him. It's just flabbergasting how how you watch it and, you're, and you get excited because you're like, oh, that's right, Batista's in this. Yes. And then he's like good and funny and yeah. so our, our backup our backup theme for the week is now officially former wrestling champions turned totally. actor totally. So. I always find it weird that Batista is such a good actor I don't recall his promos and stuff when he was a wrestler being particularly good they weren't that, that's no. the shocking thing right. it's like he didn't give shit about wrestling he was just a giant guy that it's like, oh, I can do this, I guess. Like, the acting he seems to really genuinely care about. I know you'll be shocked, but he was a former bodybuilder. Oh, really? Yeah. See, once once again, I think he could be the new Arnold. Maybe. It's yeah. been a long time since we had a great big muscly uh, superhero guy to be in movies. Hey, Rambo 5 comes up this week. Some guys are still doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so old. I'm so excited for Rambo Fire. <laughs> He's yeah. gonna kill a whole bunch of people. Yeah. What's he do after he shatters his hip in the first five minutes? Uh, cuts people's heads off apparently from from the the red band trailer that just came out. Spoilers. I uh, wanted to try to rewatch all the Rambo movies before want to see it but I don't think it's gonna happen. Well, I don't feel like you're gonna be lost plot wise. I don't know. I'm like, how does this farm work? Obviously, you, I need to rewatch the first walk, four movies. He walked back up to the farm at the 
the end of this last movie. That's the only time we've ever seen it in any previous movie. <laughs> it said Rambo in the mailbox, and he just started walking up the thing, and he was dressed like he was in First Blood, but the clothes didn't fit him quite as well because he's not shaped like a regular human being anymore. <laughs> the Rambo series, uh, it does it does not flow very good for movie to movie. <laughs> I think from two to three it flows just fine. So basically the same movie, just one set in a jungle and one set in a desert. <laughs> I suppose so. It's where he accidentally helps the Taliban take control over Afghanistan. <laughs> like, oops, good job, Rambo. <laughs> That's why he was all sad and living in a jungle in the fourth one. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. First Blood holds up really, really well, though. It is a fantastic movie. It is just like it, it's so good. The performance from Stallone and the performance from Brian Denny and you know, those flashback sequences to Vietnam that are helping you understand what's going on in his brain are so well done. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, but one so low on uh, exploding arrowheads. Yeah, it's a different movie from the rest of the series. I think that might be what you were getting at earlier with your flow comment. He kills a dude by by mistake in the first one. Yeah, that's what you got to remind people. Like, no, no, no. Now no. I kind of don't want to watch Hot Shots. Oh, Hot Shots. Uh, you kind of have to remind people. You're like, no, 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 no. You're thinking of like Rambo 2 and 3. First Blood is actually a really good drama about PTSD coming out of Vietnam. And so you watch it and you're just like, oh, fuck, this is like completely different than than what I think of Rambo movies. Because well, there's even moments where he's like, flat out tells people, like, I could have killed all of you and I chose not to. That's not the Rambo from later movies. He doesn't choose not to. <laughs> they drew First Blood. <laughs> never over. Ah, uh, Stallone. I will say, as a child, that was the the movie that probably taught me the most in the world was Rambo too, because like I always just cheered for Rambo in the first one because he's the hero of the movie, and then at the beginning when he's in jail, I'm like, oh yeah, right. all the stuff he did is probably illegal. You're probably not allowed to blow up a small town because the sheriff's a dick. <laughs> it was one of those like life lessons about oh, sometimes the guys in the movies do bad things because I was still again way too young to be watching those movies <laughs> yeah I think I saw First Blood pretty young I don't remember but how old but way, way it younger came out in 82 so. yeah. yeah so I was probably like 4 or 5 when I saw it when did Rambo 2 come out yeah I did not see First Blood until way later that's I remember anticipating Rambo too. <laughs> I mean, I bet I bet I was in my teens. I'd seen the rest of them a bunch of times. Maybe that's part of my problem with my movie taste too. <laughs> by the time by the time I got the first blood, I was like, "What is this serious bullshit?" <laughs> <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, Alright, for next week, closing out Slater September with uh, two films. 
written by Quentin Tarantino, but not directed by Quentin Tarantino. So first up, we got the Slater movie, True Romance. And we're following that up with the completely bonkers movie, Natural Born Killers. Have uh, either one of you seen either of these movies recently? Uh, it's probably been three or four years since I saw Natural Born Killers. Yeah, that might be about the same for me. I'm sure I've seen True Romance more recently than that. Yeah. It's not a rewatch a lot of the time. I like that movie, but uh, I don't know how much you remember about Rodney Dangerfield as a movie, but he plays that part way too well. It is uncomfortable. I do not like it. It's creepy as shit. Well, I haven't seen this movie in about 20 years. So this is going to be interesting. All the worst stuff you remember is all accurate. <laughs> it's all yeah. Because <laughs> I remember, I remember renting it because everybody, yeah, everybody was talking about it, and then I watched it and didn't like it, and then never watched it again. So I remember the anticipation for that movie when I was a kid. We would like try to sneak into R-rated movies because I would have been underage when it came out, and uh, I remember them catching us and stopping us. And I actually saying to the guy like, "We sneak into R-rated movies all the time. Like, what's the big deal?" And he's like, "No, not this one." Like, and I'm like, "Oh God, now I need to see it." <laughs> if you understand, we know you're sneaking into movies, but this one, no, 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 can't allow it. Yeah, sneak into the crow again or whatever. Like, just go do that. <laughs> Now I kind of want to watch The Crow. <laughs> God damn it, Doug. See what you did. <laughs> so ka, ka, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> That's awesome. <sighs> it's it's always a good time to rewatch The Crow. I don't... You can put it on the list if you guys want. Uh, should we watch Maybe. three? Which one's three? That has Kirsten Dunst in it. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't I'll rewatch that. It doesn't matter which one's three because they're all terrible after the first one. Uh, I don't hate. Yeah, two's its own thing. It's not awful. I don't even think three is absolutely terrible. It's just it's just a crappy low budget remake of the first couple. Did anybody watch the once? Uh, once you get John Connor in there, uh, ruining things. Oh, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, I never watched the TV series, but I enjoyed elements of it. It's all right. Have they have they ever said anything? You, there was supposed to be that new one coming out. Oh yeah, and then they keep they keep announcing like twenty things and then canceling it. <laughs> yeah, a years, and then currently it's canceled. But... Yeah. Every couple of years, they keep saying they're, they're they're remaking the first one, and then they attach like Bradley Cooper, and everybody's like, "What?" And then you know it gets canceled, and then the last one was Jason Momoa, and then that got canceled. So, and Jason Momoa, and it was a really good director too. And I was like, "Okay, I could see that." And then they were like, "No." <laughs> More importantly, in Jason what they Momoa, really need to do. They need to pick the son of a famous actor, maybe like oh, Tom Hanks' right. son, put him in there and have him accidentally die during the making Jesus. of the film. 
to really, to really capture that feeling of, of depression oh, that was in that first movie. That's horrible. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, though, but when you plan to have somebody die accidentally, that's called... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying do it on purpose. I'm just saying maybe be a little lax on the safety checks. <laughs> Still, still murder. Just a lower degree of murder. Or negligent, murder. negligent homicide. Maybe man. And stop, stop planning your murders while we're recording. <laughs> it makes everyone uncomfortable. I'm not a filmmaker. I would have nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's just an ideas, man. No you're one like should ever take the, my advice. That, that is a good takeaway from this show. I just like that your defense is that you're like the producer of the murder, not the writer or the director, so <laughs> nobody should blame you. No, te- technically, I just introduced the IP. <laughs> and really, I just stole that from the first movie, so... <laughs> in, uh, in more important Jason Momoa news, apparently he has indicated... He is interested in doing a remake of Twins with Peter Dinklage, and I am completely on board with this idea. What a great idea. Uh, I say no to that, and I instead suggest we do a sequel to Twins with old Danny DeVito and old Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm on board for either one one of those ideas, actually. I thought they were working on triplets where they were going to reveal that Eddie Murphy was like their third brother or some nonsense oh see yeah i'd be okay with yes i'm against that idea but it it is something that's been out there for a while (laughs) i'm just saying danny devito is like a is fine cheese rather than a fine wine (laughs) just because he gets more horrifying to look at as he gets older but but he does improve i mean he's He's on his A game now. He dumped that dead weight of Rhea Perlman. Shots fired at Rhea Perlman. Yeah, dude. What up? I'm just saying they got divorced. Apparently, Brian's not a fan of. I think it's. I think it's more. He agreed randomly to do. a pilot for a TV show that he should have never agreed to do. <laughs> and somehow catapulted that into a, a huge sprawling comeback, you know. They're on season 14 of that show, I think. That's kind of crazy. And it's, and it's still fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have no clue about the fact they're on season 14. I don't think he was in the pilot, though just so that we don't get emails. I think he didn't join until, like, season two. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because of all our correction emails that we get every week from our listener. <laughs> shut, shut the fuck up, other Brian. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. 
Good night.